regardless of what we're dealing with, bad recessions, uh, an unstable world, uh, inflation, economic downturn, debt, you still can find a way to make things happen because what's inside almost every human is this incredible imagination and the sense that we're always pursuing a better something. Hey, I'm Jordan Harding. I grew up watching my dad put on that suit and tie every morning and go out to successfully climb the corporate ladder. I thought I wanted to be him, but I was wrong. I needed to be me. To do that, I had conversations with incredible people to learn how they figured out this whole thing called life. I learned how they overcome adversity and pick themselves up when they've been knocked down. Now, I'm sharing those discussions with you so you can apply those same learnings to your life. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Today on It's Not a Straight Line, we're with the one and only Tony Chapman. Tony built an two internationally renowned communications and marketing agencies and co-founded a research firm. After selling his remaining interests in Capital C, he wanted to speak his mind and host conferences around the world. In 2019, Tony launched his platform, Chatter That Matters. The top-ranked podcast, Chatter That Matters, can be found anywhere you find your podcast and on iHeartRadio. Your intent, Tony, that I've learned about is to help everyday Canadians and small business owners get to where they need and deserve to go. You're a husband, a proud father, a, a grandfather, I've just learned, a dog owner, and I always love your opinions and how you're willing to walk that tightrope. Thank you for all you do, Tony, and the value you bring to your audience on Chatter That Matters. Welcome to It's Not a Straight Line. Oh, I, pr- I appreciate you being on. I'm a fan of the podcast. Uh, anybody that talks about people's journey in life, and I love your insights. That you, and one of the most brilliant insights I've actually heard is it, it, you can connect the dots looking back, but you really can't use those dots going forward. Those are just simply ideas and, and experiences that you put in your knapsack. But you know the path forward is always an uncharted one. So good for you for doing that. Thank you for that, Tony. I want to bring it back to you know early days. Tony Chapman. And I, I read a story or heard you on a podcast say you were actually fired as a store clerk. When did you know, hey, I'm probably going to follow an entrepreneurial path as, as opposed to a more corporate path? You know, it actually goes back to age five. And, and this isn't just folklore, but I, I had an incredible mother probably drove me crazy at that age because I wanted to set up a lemonade stand and shake my neighbor's down for some of those days were probably nickels. And she thought that was a great idea. But before I could sell a glass of lemonade, I had to rent her pitcher. I had to buy the lemons, figure out what a cup of sugar cost, figure out profit margin, couldn't set it up in the front of our house because there was no sunlight, had to take it down to a park. At the end of the day, coming back, I have no idea if I made any more or any less, but it really, I think she really taught me the value and the excitement and the energy and, and how precious it is when you actually go out and earn something. And then through my high school and university, I was always commission-based selling. I mean, I either threw parties, took the risk and reward, or I sold radio advertising, uh, sold newspaper advertising. And I was always wired to kind of uh, go into a world where there is risk and reward. The risk is I'd make nothing. The reward is there's no ceiling. The only times I ever stepped off that path working part-time um, it, it, it never turned out well. And the really reason it didn't is that I was just always thought, 
we could change st the status quo. There's better ways to do things. I was always bringing I ideas with excitement to my bosses, but they were just trying to run, for example, a, a drugstore, and they just wanted me to stock shelves, not re-merchandise the entire category. So eventually, I think my ideas and enthusiasm wore a little thin, and uh, it was one of the best gifts they could ever gave me because it really did fortify my mind that having my own hand on the rudder uh, allowed me to be obnoxious and, and resilient and, and full of ideas or doubts, but that was my hand in my rudder. And that's kind of set me off on this incredible, uh, incredibly lucky and fortunate entrepreneurial journey I've been on for, for decades now. That's great. And, and Tony, what about, how did you start? I think your first agency was called Communique. Is that correct? Communique. Communique. And how did you kind of have that idea to start? I think you were at a company at the time and, and they didn't want to do an idea, idea you had. Well, actually, there's two, there's two elements to that story. I moved up from Montreal to Toronto and I worked for this company called Procreation. And they thought it was a clever way to talk about creating. In those days, there was these big slideshows and you, and you told the story of the company and stuff. And I, clients were struggled to find $20,000 in those days to spend on these shows. And they had to be perfect because they were kind of setting the table for an entire conference, very often the introduction to a CEO. So it was a real tension to kind of get this product finished on time and on budget. But there's common themes in these shows. They want to talk about their, their culture, their vision, their products, their programs, their people. So I came up with this idea of doing these generic shows where we could spend 100,000 instead of 20,000. And when it's, instead of saying, you know, the name of the company, Pepsi or General Motors, we'd say our company, we'd bring in the Pepsi logo and our Pepsi products and Pepsi people. And then we could take those slides out and put in General Motors the next day and we could rent the creative. Uh, they didn't like the idea. They thought it, was, it wasn't going to work. So I joined another firm, uh, started working with them, and again, getting quite claustrophobic with the, the day in and day out of just, you know, again, having that ceiling of saying I'm going to spend the entire year. Brought them the idea. They loved it. They provided the financing, which we actually never really needed because the idea went from zero to about 100 in almost overnight. Good news was it was well-received. The bad news is I had no experience running an agency. So we spent a lot of time kind of making a lot of mistakes, uh, finding ourselves in corners we shouldn't be in. But year after year, we did end up with a profit. We created a culture and some of the people who worked for me, and that was back in 1979 that we started it. Are, I still run into our great friends that have gone on to do great things. So very proud of that first agency. And I sold it uh, 12 years later for $28 million, 700,000 cash, the rest in paper. And that company went bankrupt and that paper basically was used to insulate by walls. So I've heard you say that before, you sold it for paper. And by that, do you mean you sold it for the contract you signed or you sold it for actually hard paper cash? Well, no, they, they provided some money up front and 700,000 was a lot of money in those days, but I just used that to finance an even bigger lifestyle. And a great lesson in life for people is you start creating wealth. If you chase a wealthy lifestyle, you'll never have enough because you want to have the next thing and the next big thing. But I bought a big house with it and then they went bankrupt on me. So the money they owed me, which was sitting as in stock paper, never materialized. So I ended up literally waking up one morning, no access to my company, which is still very solid because it got shut down in their overall global empire. And I had to reinvent myself literally over a weekend because I had two young kids and uh, I had a mortgage to pay and a, a bigger lifestyle that I signed on for. So 
It was a great, a fantastic lesson in life. Most probably the most stressful point of my life because it, the temptation was to go work full time and find some security and find a foundation. But I, I chose to continue to bet on me and, and uh, it turned out to, uh, to pay some, some pretty, good, pretty good dividends. And when I mean dividends, I don't mean just financial dividends, intellectual rewards. I was in, in, a, in, a, in the new agency called Capital C with so many smart people and it was stimulating, emotional. We were a culture that believed in big ideas. And because of that, it, it also paid the dividends of uh, providing me with a great life. Not to age you, Tony, at all, but how old were you when you started that first agency? First agency I was in the uh, my twenties, and okay. the second agency I was in my thirties. I had a twenty-two year run with that one too, and also created a research firm. So I, I had a fantastic run through my thirty-two years. I, I don't think we lost money more than one quarter, and we we battled through a couple of tough recessions. And and again, it was because we never chased the bottom line. We always chased a higher purpose. In our case, is a sense of an idea that can bring buyers and sellers together it can create it can bring in a cultures together and, and when we did that when we created that sense of turning something intangible and something magnetic uh it, it 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 just proved to be a great business to be in because there was a, a, a clients in any sector it was something that they they all crave they all crave to have you know energy and excitement within their company or with within uh, the way the consumers perceive their brands when you sold Communique and you were at that period in life where, you know, this, this British firm went bankrupt, I assume you had a lot of people knocking on your door about full-time jobs. You kind of mentioned that. What kind of sat within you to say, I'm going to just avoid the noise and I'm going to create something new in capital C? Well, it's interesting. My wife at the time was very supportive, even though we we're staring at two young kids. I had a banker, Lorraine McDonald, who she was at the same time this was happening, she said, you're due for your annual review. And she said, well, you've got a line of credit of $20,000 that you haven't used. I'll pretend we never had this conversation, but I'm going to tell you, I'm going to knock on your door in three months. So because I'd lost the security of what that line of credit was for. And that $20,000, I figured could carry me along for seven months in business. I met with somebody that owned a small art studio, Chris Strawn and Ellie Rubin. Ellie had worked with me in the past and they gave me a desk. And the crazy thing about this studio is it only had two phone lines and people would just drop in and use their phone because those days there's no cell phones. And it would say, no, you have to get off the phone. I'm, I'm trying to get business. But the second day uh, in business, I landed a $3,000 job from LCBO. At the end of the week, Roger Baranowski called me from Pepsi and said, listen, I hear you're on your own. Yeah, Pepsi was a massive client of my first agency. Listen, we have a video we want you to produce. I said, fantastic. Budget's $50,000 and you probably need some cash. So why don't you invoice me and we'll get a check out to you early next week. And I, the sense of relief knowing that it wasn't the agency, it was the, the, the pursuit of ideas and creativity. And that year we made about $600,000 profit from a standing start. And we never looked back. We had an incredible run at Capital C. I mean, we won Agency of the Year. We won, you know, dozens, if not hundreds of awards, best of show. We, we broke barriers. We created ideas that no one had thought about. We see ideas that are still in the marketplace. Sometimes 20 years later, Craft Hockeyville or the Land Academy for Easter Bunny. So just surrounding yourself with wonderful people, intellectually, I always call head, art, and hands. So intellectually stimulating, emotionally grounded, because we're there as a 
company together and this, this desire to act and do things and break new ground it goes back to the days of my drugstore days where the status quo wasn't something I was ever interested in. And that's what, that's what propelled us for. Yeah. You, you truly, you know, I think you're being a bit modest there. I think it's yeah. Well over a hundred national Canadian and international awards. And then the agency of the year must've been a, a big, a huge win there. And, and you're also in the marketing hall of legends. I think you were one of the youngest people yeah. to be inducted into that. What an incredible honor. And you know what? You're right. Because but you I know think- something I want to point out that it's so easy to put the lead singer as the person that deserves all of this. But I, I can tell you that I was in shock and awe every day going to that agency by the creativity and a great message. I know your audience is a young audience is this is an this is a time now where there is no boxes, there's no organizational chart because of economics. Companies have flattened their structure because of a, a powerful chords like diversity and inclusion. They've opened doors and they've taken down glass ceilings. And if you walk in there with energy and, and resilience and excitement and passion and pursuit, there's no stopping you. And that's what we try to have at our agency. And I think because of that, maybe my strength was allowing that and, ex- and excited, getting excited by that. And, and letting people grab that microphone. But, but you know, I, I never want to present the fact that this was, a, 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 you know, I was a solo act. This was, a, this was an extraordinary team that I had an honor of being part of. Well, that's such a great point. And I, it's so important to have the right people around you. What do you think, you know, helped you make sure you were putting the right people around you? When you look back at those days when you were hiring and even speak with executives now, was there something that helped you create that culture and community that led to those breakthrough globally ranked creative ideas? You know, we were talking off camera about your uh, insights that you, you weren't going to be, you, you thought you were going to follow in your dad's footsteps and you very early on realized that you needed to make your own. My early footsteps was, uh, you know, uh, I talked about how wonderful my mom was. My dad was wonderful when he was sober, but he was a manic depressive, self-medicated with alcohol so our house was always a climate of uncertainty. We were always a day away from losing everything. And that was very important for me to, to always have a, 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 an environment where there was a foundation in place. And we weren't just trying to build something from the roof down. That There was something solid to stand upon. Second thing is I, I came out of Montreal with a, you know, a Bachelor of Commerce. I, didn't come, I walked into Toronto. I didn't have private school upbringing or pedigree. I didn't go to Queens or University of Toronto or Western. I didn't have a network. I had a chip on my shoulders. I had something I wanted to prove. So I was always intrigued with this sort of this uh, hiring a band of stragglers. I, I wasn't particularly interested in MBAs. I was, and, you know, and nowadays I look at this concept of, you know, diversity and, and women. If you look at our agency back then, I mean, we were woman-led uh, I never in my mind, in my life will I ever imagine paying someone less or more based on their gender. We had incredible diversity ran through it, but it wasn't an intentional. It wasn't because we wanted to, to right or wrong. It was just the way we approached life because we were all, we all had a chip on our shoulder. We all had something to prove. One of my people, I, people I love to hire were women from that, that, that had successful fathers because they just had this incredible dynamic and, or people that went to a camp. I never had the chance to go to camp. I didn't have the chance to go away to university, but I love the fact that people started off as 
going to camp and then becoming camp counselors. And to me, those are people that grew, matured, had empathy, were, were, were not just self-aware and narcissists. They looked around at, at how everybody else was doing. And that was the simplicity of our model, but it was, it was unique in the sense that we were countering our competitors that were really uh, had this pool of unbelievable talent very often with this fantastic network and somehow or the other, we would chip our way into a company with a toe hold or a finger hold and just start climbing from there. And that's, that's the thing I'm most proud about is that, you know, we, if you follow my post on LinkedIn, I'm very much about earning your way forward, not boring your way there. Or, uh, and, and I think that was a big part of our success. On the other side, you could accuse me of nepotism. My, my brother-in-law was my creative genius, Bennett Klein. Jane, my sister, was another creative director. I had uh, my younger sister, Melissa, who was really this incredible account person. But I would argue that they were equal in pillars in terms of the success of a firm. So I, it just all worked. I don't think it would work nowadays. I think nowadays marketing has gone from spending budgets and an appetite for big ideas and creativity to investing. And you often hear, is that idea, is it going to work? How much is it going to cost? Am I going to get a return? versus the days that I was alive in was bring me something big, bring us something exciting. We'll find the money. And, and boy, when they hit those things were, those things were, you know, I would argue belong in the marketing uh, hall of fame uh, globally, because some of the ideas we created were massive. I'm not sure that exists the way it used to. Yeah. And there's a few things you mentioned there, Tony, that uh, I can definitely relate to, you know, I never went to overnight camp and, and really think that that's something when I have, if I'm fortunate enough to have kids, I'd like to push them that way. And I also never went, uh, went away to school, but had the chance to go on an exchange. And it was the best time of my life, just meeting people from so many different countries. And I know travel is important to you as well. Um, Tony, what about when, uh, when you started Capital C and you worked your way through that? I think there was an important lesson I've heard you mention about communique. You said you started trying to make sure you spent more time with your kids. And I think you grew it maybe slightly slower to make sure you had that time because, you know, we all know you'd never get that time back. Was there, was there a learning for you from one well, starting to it, the other? It's such a massive learning for anybody in their twenties, because we're just, we just want to be more and do more, which is the great energy of the twenties. When I, when communicate went down, I started capital C and we had immediate success people that I knew said, you're going to take it to where cap, you're going to take capital C to where communicate was. And remember communicator peak, we had 120 employees. It was a big shop. And I said, you know, I, and I was so excited about it, but I had a mentor in young presence organization that said to me, you know, Tony, you're going to be, you don't have a big life. You're going to be as wealthy as you ever need to be. But I'll tell you something, looking around at all my peers, and this person was much older than me. Many of them are millionaires a hundred times over but very few of them have a great relationship with their family because they devoted everything to creating that wealth. And that hit me like a brick. And I decided to keep uh, capital C under 20 people for the first 10 years of its existence. And it was like, and how we did it is we would just resign clients that we felt the chemistry wasn't right and replace them with clients that we thought we could do better work for. And that model was so successful because I got to walk my kids to school a lot. I made their lunches and always packed little notes in their lunch boxes. 
And they're now my like incredibly important people in my life. And I went through a divorce and, you know, very, that's very tough. I mean, they were both in university and I thought it'd be easier on them, but it wasn't. But at the same time, I think the relationship I built with them back then um, allowed me to work with them to get through it to where we are today, which is, you know, a, a father daughter uh, relationship with both my girls that I would, I would argue is my greatest accomplishment because it's, it means so much to me. And I hope I mean so much to them. I think I've heard both your daughters are, are pretty successful in their own right. What do you pass on to them? And, and I, I would love to hear from them one time, you know, what's it like having, having a father like Tony Chapman, you know, you're a wildly successful entrepreneur. And now I want to get to the creation of of Chapman reactions and, and chatter that matters. And, and you're, a, you're a speaker at conferences and hosts and you're showing up on radio and TV. Do you know what, it, what it's like for them and what advice they've garnered from you? And do you let them just kind of watch and learn or do you really try to intentionally provide some thoughts to them as they grow throughout their own career? Yeah, it's a fabulous set of questions. So first of all, um, since my early days, I have two very different daughters. Alexander's my oldest, and she'd be talking to me about what am I going to be doing two years from now? Mikhail's my youngest, and she would say something like, today's Wednesday, let's not rush Thursday. Both of them are unbelievable human beings, and they are first and foremost Chapman sisters. And it's the first thing I always said to them is, no matter what, your mom and I are going to be gone long before you two are, if the actuarial tables hold true. And you're going to have a lot of influences in your life. But first and foremost, you are Chapman sisters. And I'm so proud to say they are the closest, most different people I've ever met and cheer each other on. My youngest is an artist and a creativity. And I always wanted to make sure she had time for her projects. I always said, look at you know, getting 95 or 100 or 88 is not what you're going to remember. You're going to remember your creative expression. Alexandra, who was this, like, just approach school, that firstborn mentality. Uh, both of them got uh, phenomenal degrees over in Scotland, one at St. Andrews, one at Edinburgh. Alexandra is very different, but, you know, she doing, she's in Apple in San Francisco doing marketing. She is definitely her own woman. But she was the one at age two, I would take her out and to grocery stores and we do look at the store and how it's merchandise. And I'd put her in a, in a, you know, a push carriage, the grocery cart. And I'd say, look at what they're trying to tell you at your eye level, you know, and you see the frosted mm. flakes and the free prize inside that, you know, the pester power. And we just built a relationship that way. And with Michaela, it was very different. And I think my advice to anybody is, you, if you try to lead your kids, uh, it's that old proverb, teaching the fish, they'll fish for a lifetime, give them fish and they'll keep coming back for food. They are off on their own. They will definitely come to me for conversation when it certainly applies to their career and at times their life. And I'm immensely proud that they still think I'm relevant, but uh, they're, they're blazing their own path. And I'm sure they're very proud to, you know, when their friends are back in Canada and say, oh, I heard your dad on TV or I just saw him deliver this speech. I have to believe they would be proud of that because, you know, I'm an old guy and I'm still relevant. But, you know, our relationship is, is less about accomplishments and much more about their journeys in life. And uh, as I always say to them, if you don't hit speed bumps, if it's a perfectly paved life, I can't think of anything more boring. So learn how to power through a recession, learn how to deal with the pandemic, learn how to overcome 
you know, uh, biases at work, uh, take a sledgehammer to a glass ceiling, stick your hand up, you feel you deserve for something. And I kind of think they're, they're that way. On the other side, they also had incredible influence in their mother, who's kind, empathetic, caring, generous. Uh, and, and so I think they're, they got a pretty good combination. And, um, you know, uh, and, and for that, uh, you know, I take great pride in it. But more importantly, it's, it's what they put in the knapsack and what they're doing now is 99% that. And I, I love that insight. If you don't hit a speed bump, I think you said, uh, you know, it's a pretty boring life. Yeah. Also think for this podcast, it's great to hear, you know, you really hired that. I don't know if you said the bag of stragglers, but you were willing to hire people from different backgrounds yeah. who learned different things, who came to the table with all types of, of different thinking. Right. And, you know, one of the things that, that frustrated me about, about, the way people were hired is a lot of people are looking for someone to fit into a box, right? And with this podcast, you're hearing from people that didn't really fit into that box. And I know in your career, I've heard you use the expression, you were, you were on a tightrope at times, you were willing to fail, and you faced hardship and you pushed through it. So, you know, Tony, you were, you had this career where you were hosting uh, you know, before the pandemic, a lot of conferences, you're a keynote speaker, then the pandemic hits. And I believe that's when you had the idea to launch chatter that matters. How did how did that how did starting a podcast come about for you? And why did that energize you at that time? Yeah, so I'll take you back to that point when I left uh, Capital C, I wasn't sure what I was going to do. But I was I'd done all I wanted to do in the advertising space. And again, as I said, Marketers went from uh, spending money to investing it. And I knew the, the next generation was going to be about data and analytics. So I, I thought maybe am I going to teach? I had to do something because I'm just not, the thing that frightens me the most in life is retirement. I have no interest in retiring. So I started speaking at conferences and I, surprisingly, I did quite well at it and I was making good money, but I started looking around going, aging white guy as a conference speaker Number one is not a is not necessarily actionality, and the second thing is once you've spoken at a conference, you, they're not going to really invite you back because they want the next speaker. So I reinvented myself as this conference host, not not so much an MC, but a, this third party journalist. Because remember, I spent my entire career working in pharmaceuticals, automotive, to consumer packaged goods. To I mean, I I had this incredible ex, like experiences. So I started hosting these events and say, think of me as the third party objectivity that's going to do two things. It's going to ask you the questions you want answered. In other words, I'll amplify the content you really want the audience to get. And I will also ask the questions the audience wants to ask. And I'll do it in a couple of ways. I'll set the table at the beginning of the conference. We're going to go on this adventure. And the next day, we're going to chase this one word purpose. Can purpose exist alongside profit? And boy, boy, you're going to hear some great speakers. So just set the table and get the energy going. Then after every speaker got to stage, says, hold on, before you leave, I want to talk to you a little bit more about, you know, you talked about the, your sense of your relationship, seeing your dad, thinking that was the steps. When did you know that you wanted to get your feet dirty on another path? So again, the person, you just lean into that because instead of you going, well, I was 16 and I thought this and the audience is on their, you know, their, their smartphones, they lean into it. Or I might go say, you know, I, I on a, a panel going, I really like what you had to say, but I think. I think Sally over here disagrees with you. And I'd create this incredible energy flow. 
And then at the end of it, I had this weird brain, as my wife says, I lose my keys 10 times a day, but I can synthesize a lot of different information and I'd wrap it up in this very tight value proposition. Well, anyways, that turned into me loving this journalist role. I started doing more, uh, uh, posting more articles on LinkedIn. Uh, my clients didn't just take me one year. I've had some clients now, I'm coming back out of the pandemic. I'm booked in the fall. I'm done eight, year, eight years in a row. I mean, this third party objectivity because the audience I've built currency and trust with, the people know it. And I even get CEOs now to say, instead of delivering that 40 minute keynote, let's have a conversation on stage. You know, let's, let's, yeah. let, let's, let's really do it. So that's how it all worked out. So the pandemic hit and I said, you know, I guess I'm going to be forced into retirement. I didn't think virtual conferences was going to, but I had all my conferences canceled literally in one day. I had this little podcast vanity project that had four or five episodes on just kind of trying to test this new channel. And I said, you know, what am I going to do to help? And I said, you know what, what if I could support small business? I'm being a small business owner. They're the heart of our economy. I said, if I could personalize their challenges, maybe we would take the sector personally. And instead of ordering from Amazon, we'd order from the person on the street. You know, and we'd, we'd really try to find a way to support it. So I went to Royal Bank with this idea. I said, we're going to feature a different small business owner every week. I'm going to bring in my Rolodex of thought experts that would never have had the time before the pandemic. And we're going to bring this together. And we did eight episodes that turned into 16 episodes. And RBC and I were talking, saying, you know, this is a, this is countering the storm of negativity and a sense of impossibility and the sky's falling by showing people making things happen, doing more, being more. I said, this stuff is this stuff is inspiring, man. This is what we need right now. We need a, a lining in that cloud. So they they just went all in. And next thing you know, we we turned it into an, a, a program, Chatter That Matters, that went beyond small business to just ordinary people doing extraordinary things despite challenging circumstances and incredible stories. And as I told the stories, I could also weave in some of the amazing things RBC was doing to fight climate change and diversity, mental health, things that you never hear about. You just think big bank, but you, re you really go beneath the surface. This bank is doing so much for, uh, to help clients thrive and communities prosper. So all of this came together. Then we decided to put it on national radio, so we're on nine radio stations, and it's just been this absolute labor of love. I'll never share this with RBC because I probably would do it for free. That's how much I love doing it. But it, it's just, it's just uh, a testament to just letting people know that regardless of what we're dealing with, bad recessions, uh, an unstable world, uh, inflation, economic downturn, debt, you still can find a way to make things happen because what's inside almost every human is this incredible imagination and the sense that we're always pursuing a better something. You know, as Maslow of Hierarchy Needs said, we're, you know, whether it's initially just trying to find shelter and food, it's what, improving our circumstances, love, belonging, be part of community, finding a purpose to your career, getting maybe at the point where you can actually self-actualize and, and say, you know, what's the meaning of life? We're always on these quests and all we're trying to do is just show some people that are uh, that are uh, skipping across that tightrope of life and going, throw it at me, throw a sledgehammer at me, speed bump, I might fall off, but you know what? You're going to see that hand reach back up and I'll pull myself back on. And, and that's the stories I love to share. I think it's incredible how well you supported small business during the pandemic and kudos to RBC for stepping up and helping bring these stories to life with you because uh, they're so interesting and it was great to hear how much 
RBC and yourself were supporting small businesses as well as the thought leaders you were able to bring to the table. You spoke about how uh, early on there was a lot of uncertainty in your household, but I've also heard you say, try to make the uncertainty certainty, the impossible possible. Where, where did you kind of get those, that confidence or that attitude from? Is that something you, you tell people to... I hear it time and time again now as, you know, as I'm moving on and now introducing people like Guy Havasaki, Dr. Sylvia Earle, Times First Hero of the Planet, Susan Cain. I mean, a lot of times the people that have come from uh, Zara Al-Halrazi, uh, Mohammed Fakir, they, they've come from a tough point in their life and use that as a, a compass to say, I don't want to be here anymore. I'm not going to be a victim. I'm not going to uh, succumb to, to what it seems like a lot of cement, sometimes around my knees, my thighs, with some of the, some of these people, refugees to Canada, right up to their neck. I'm, I'm gonna I'm gonna work every day to get rid of that cement, and I and when I do, I'm gonna run like no one runs. I'm gonna create like no one creates, and I think that's where it comes from. Like when you're in a situation like that, and I, I give credit to my mom who was tireless. I mean, she died at old age at 53 because how, what she did to keep a roof over her head still instill creativity in us. And my dad, when he was sober, was one of the most wonderful and caring, empathetic human beings. But the, this, this, this tension and climate also fostered a sense that I don't want to ever put anybody in that circumstance ever. And I think that's what gave me the, the sense that you can turn those things around if you, not, not always, I'm not saying, this is no, no self-help, magic wand, take this pill, follow the step, read the self-help book. But I'd say to you that more often than not, if you approach life with putting one foot forward and you approach life with conviction, if you're passionate about a higher purpose, if you're not chasing money, but chasing something that really makes your, your eyes shine and your heart beat, there's a good chance that, that whatever cements on you and cements on all of us, you can knock that away. And when you do, there's nothing more exciting than realizing the world can be your oyster. Even if that world is just simply, I wanna, I wanna have a roof over my head. I wanna make sure my, my kids go to school well-fed. I mean, all of those things are admirable quests given where you're coming from. And that's, that's, the, that's where I believe you can take the un out of uncertainty, the in out of insecurity, and most importantly, taking the M out of impossibility. And I, again, I don't wanna make it look like Listen, Tony Robbins, those people are in a league of their own in terms of their, you know, their, their steps and what to wire. I'm not that. I'm just more simplistic that says, you know, I wake up, I mean, I was up this morning at five in the morning and I was so excited about today, excited to chat with you, excited about the rest of my day. And I go, I'm blessed to be able to wake up every day knowing there's something out there that I, that I want to conquer, even if it's just the tiniest step on that tightrope. That's great. Yeah, we are, we are truly blessed. There's a lot of people, especially as Canadians, we we are blessed. You describe yourself as a, as a passionate Canadian, and I've seen your your LinkedIn posts or your commentary in in the media. Um, and sometimes you do have that political charge to you, Tony. Would there ever be an environment or opportunity that would present itself where you may have a political ambition? No, and I've been asked and. A lot of times because I do have a fairly big profile and I do have, uh, you know, a pretty good network. It's not for me, you know, politics is for the next generation. It's for, um, I want people that fight for the middle ground. I want people that are less partisan, less party oriented, oriented. And I'm not sure we're going to attract that talent until we change the way democracies run. 
And that's the thing that fears me the most right now is you can have, you can win 32% of the popular vote and, and treat uh, our tax dollars and borrowed dollars as, as your personal checking account. By the way, I voted liberal, I voted conservative. This isn't a, a, a shot at either party. I think both parties and the NDP are polarizing us, dividing us, pulling us into corners, uh, saying it's us versus them, creating seeding hate and fear. And I don't think that's that's the role of a politician. A politician should be there to unite us. And even if they have differences with their opposition, meet in the middle of ground, find consensus. That's what democracy is about, was originally finding consensus and being for the people as opposed to being for the party. So I, I, it's not the climate for me. And I'm hoping that they'll, we'll have a Gandhi or, or a Mandela, even a, a Kennedy or a Martin Luther King, someone that will come out of this sort of... Uh, cesspool of, of where today's politics are and unite people by making them realize that what we have in Canada is special. And first and foremost, it's about us and it, humans and the humanity is what matters most. And to do that, we need an economy that's growing. We need to create great a tax base. We need to take care of the disadvantaged. We need a social net. We need better health care, better education. But just, just going and boring money on the backs of future generations is not going to end well. So I'm hoping that, that, that there's a 20 year old, maybe it's, or maybe it's you or someone out there that realizes that there is a calling. And when they do, and that person arrives, they can count on me to do whatever I can uh, to, to help them, uh, to help them bring that, animate their vision and, and ideally live it. I'm sure there is someone, you never know, listening out there who, who has that ambition. Tony, I know we're coming to the end of this. Uh, I want to ask you, where people can find you. And then uh, I have a few quick questions for you. So is your main platform, is it LinkedIn and at Tony Chapman? It's, it's LinkedIn or just the chatter that matters.ca, which is where I keep the library of podcasts and radio shows or LinkedIn, either one of those works. Twitter at Tony Chapman, but I'm really not that engaged on it because it, I, it's like whack-a-mole. You put something out and then hammers come flying at you, but it's, uh, yeah, just do that. And, you know, uh, and listen, I'm, I'm, I love the fact that you're, you're talking to the next generation, because I think this is going to be uh, a renaissance happening in the world with new technologies and new approaches and a much, a much stronger set of values. And I think we are going to be, uh, Canada is in for an, uh, an incredible run under the hands of the right leader that we can, uh, we can create a, the country, which, you know, we should be the second largest landmass sharing a border with the United States, all our resources, intellectual, natural, our education population. We should be the country that everybody envies around the world. And it's going to be people like you and your, and that new generation that's going to make that happen. That's awesome. And yeah, I encourage everyone to look, look for Tony's podcast, Chatter That Matters, wherever you get your podcast. Can you give a teaser for who might be the next guest you put out or, or what was the latest episode? That, that people should look out for? You know, it, there's, it's, there's such a range of topics. I actually have Jeannie Becker coming on. She just turned 70. She's dealing with breast cancer. She's using her celebrity to remind people to take preventative health care. But it's a great story of reinventing yourself. For every, every decade, every year, Jeannie Becker has been putting smiles on people's faces. But I mean, if you're interested in healthcare, David Fagenbaum, who was dying on the deathbed six times, found his own cure. And, and what he found might cure millions of other people. You know, as I mentioned earlier, uh, Steve Cadigan, Future Works, Zara Al-Harazi, a refugee to Canada, reminding us why, 
why this country is so special. I think there's a, there, depending on what you're interested in, write me and I'll personally curate an episode for you because I'd love to have that, that your first impression of Chad and the Matters be one that, that feels very personal to you. And, you know, when I look at you and, and at the, you know, the entrepreneurial bent versus what, you know, I would go to the Brian Baumler, you know, he thought he was gonna become a lawyer um, because that's that, that's who drove fancy cars and 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 then started realizing uh, he liked hammering nails and now it's hammering out international TV deals. So I mean, there's something for everybody in it. Uh, okay, two last questions, Tony. Uh, was there a project that uh, you did at one of your agencies that really stood out? Like the one I, I look at, what your agency did. I, I believe you did the Lays and the Mark Messier bring home the cup commercial that one stands out was there one that stood out to you that you look back on anyone that were really insight based and crafted pepsi came to us the almost the same week both buying the rights to the nhl and saying and you were in the sponsorship business how do we activate it pepsi was we started doing looking at the consumer and realizing when hockey is on television it's a ritual you know i often wear my team sweater i have a little shrine set up i have my snacks ready before the game starts so it was a perfect place, the, the den, the shrine, to create this concept called Bring Home the Stanley Cup, where a Hockey Night in Canada would, de- would design your hockey shrine with some incredible stuff, and Mark Messier would show up with the Stanley Cup and watch the game. And that was fantastic for Pepsi. Kraft, on the other hand, was they didn't really have product that connected to hockey. They, wouldn't, they really weren't doing like Gatorade that's, that supported it, so we had to come up with a different idea. And our insight was... Small towns around Canada were losing their swagger. Young people were leaving. They didn't have the dollars. Uh, and, and Walmart might have been taking their main street and hurting it. So we came up with this concept called Craft Hockeyville. And the idea was a small town could bid for the rights to get an arena makeover. And then two NHL teams would show up and play an exhibition game there. Craft Hockeyville, 15 years later, it, in North America, is you know sold billions and billions of dollars of groceries because we made the campaign headquarters, the grocery store. And that's when I, anytime it was about insights, a bride, you know, women hating a bad hair day and always having an emotional story. Oh my God, I ran into my old boyfriend or my old boyfriend's new girlfriend, or, you know, it's just going for a job interview. Well, we lost a shampoo by, with a $3,000 film with a bride cutting off her hair because she was melting down called wigging out. And a week later, that $3,000 campaign was on Jay Leno, Oprah, thousands of media outlets around the world. And when you hit one like that, because the insight was so right, I'm emotional connection to my hair. That's where magic happened. That's where the magic happens. Well, Tony Chapman, thank you so much for doing this. I can't wait uh, to hear the feedback from, from the listener and uh, you be well. And thanks again, Tony. You too. And keep, keep the, keep the dream happening, brother. I love what you're doing. And, uh, and listen, thanks for, uh, thanks for mattering. Thanks so much. What did you take away from our chat today? I'd love to know. Let me know on Instagram at it's not a straight line or connect with me on LinkedIn. If this episode was helpful, would you mind leaving me a review on whatever podcast app you use? I'd really appreciate it. You can always go back to previous episodes to hear more insightful conversations to help you build your own unique life. Thanks for listening to It's Not a Straight Line. Until next time.